Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the final episode of Season 4 of the Armago Podcast. It's been another brilliant, brilliant season and I feel like I've learnt a tremendous amount from the guests that we've had on. From young Olympic medalist, just 21 years of age, to record-breaking Olympian Duncan Scott, and to a number of excelling rugby guests, the inspiring Taekwondo athlete Lauren Williams, and the man who ran 401 marathons, in 401 days. Now today, to wrap off the season, I'm delighted to be welcoming on Scott Denny Han, MBE. Scott is a gymnastics coach. He's coached the likes of Matt Whitlock and the Gadirova twins. In this episode, Scott talks about the challenges of coaching, how he's able to pick out talent from a young age, and how he's able to develop athletes to go on and become Olympic champions. Now last week we heard from Anthony Watson and rather than doing two truths and a lie at the end of his episode, Anthony gave us three different items, one of which he collects. Now the correct collector's item for Anthony was sneakers. I definitely recommend giving Anthony's episode a listen when you get the chance. Now I'm very, very excited for this week's episode, so let's get going with Scott Dennyhan, MBE. Right, Scott, thank you very much for joining us today on the Armago podcast. Uh, what an honour it is to have you uh, and a massive congratulations uh, on, on your successes in particular uh, with the latest Olympic Games as well. I want to start by just talking a little bit about some of the athletes that you've coached um, and really um, how you're able to distinguish some of the most successful athletes um, from those that don't go on to, to reach those sort of heights. And is there other, you know, one or a few things that you'd say that really make some of these athletes that have gone on to achieve, you know, very, very successful things uh, that make them stand out? Well, I'm in a really privileged position um, that I work with quite a few high level and high profile athletes. Um, so I've had the, the, the privilege of seeing lots and lots of different people and lots and lots of different relationships around the world in the sport of gymnastics as well. And one of the key things that I've always recognized and hung on to in, to answer your questions, to be able to tell those, you know, someone that can do really well in the sport and someone that might reach a certain level. And that's the relationship and the communication that you're able to get from a very, very early age uh, when you're working with an athlete. I think sometimes you can try very hard, you can plan very hard and you can have lots of things in place with an athlete. But until you truly understand that athlete and that athlete truly understands you as a coach, you're going to find limitations all the time so I think the answer to my question is a communication and a relationship that you need to, to build very very early on um, to build a mutual uh, trust a mutual respect and a mutual understanding of what you want and what you want to achieve then you start monitoring of course and you start seeing how they perform how they train and identifying the the, the key areas what's very interesting is um Max, who's probably the most successful athlete that I've worked with, his training environment and his training um, in terms of repetitions and practice routines probably aren't the best in the world. He has got his ability to perform under pressure. So we've really focused on that attribute. And that is what really stands him apart and what stands the other high level athletes apart from the athletes that, that are all amazing, but just don't reach that ultimate goal and that's the ability to perform under pressure i think a lot of that is natural you can enhance it and we work very hard to enhance it 
Um, but that is ultimately what sets the really world-class athletes apart from uh, the other level of athletes that are underneath them. So if we're talking about, you know, you're saying that that's natural. And so it's, it's almost like, you know, some people just don't have it in them. Um, when you say natural, you know, what sort of things are you talk about? Are you talking about their early years of their childhood? Are you talking about their genetics? You know, what's natural to you? Well, it's interesting. I think the, the two things that you've touched on there are part of the answer. So you've got someone's upbringing. And I think when someone's suffered a big adversity, you know, had to deal with a big adversity in life, or they've had to really struggle and, and overcome big obstacles, I think sometimes that can help them have the ability to really push that extra mile. But does that help them perform when it, when it really matters? I don't know. That's something that we really will keep working on and do the best that we can to get the best out of the athlete. But is there a genetic of this? And absolutely, I believe there is. I think some people are naturally able to deal with pressure more than others. I think in any walk of life, if you look at someone that, you know, flies and fighter jets, not everybody gets to be that pilot, do they? And I think that's because certain people can deal with the um, demands that are going to be put on that person to get to that level. And the others might end up being the, the co-pilot or the navigator, um, you know, that's the the that's what separates two people what their what their genetics are um and we can all see the physical genetics in two people quite clearly but i think what's up here is also very very relevant having said that you, like i said before you can enhance both sides if you're a bad coach you can enhance the inability to perform quite well quite quite easily actually if you're a bad coach if you're a very very good coach you can hone in on on that and really, really enhance that ability to perform under pressure. And of course, help those that can't give them, you know, tools to be able to deal with that under pressure. And quite often you tap into psychologists or other support to help you do that. So when you've got someone that's really talented, but they just can't quite perform under high level pressure, do you have to have those kind of, like, there must be a point where you realise, right, that they can't, they just simply cannot go on to achieve the sort of things that perhaps they've got in their in their mind and want to go and do. Do you speak with them at that point? Do you, do you chat with them or do you like do you allow them to still have that kind of vision and, and you know, where they want to take things? It's, it's, it's an ongoing process. And absolutely, you talk to them all the time, but it's never okay you're, you, you can't. It's, it's about setting realistic goals and understanding what their actual ability is. Because you can look at an athlete quite often, and, and it is a normal, common mistake that coaches and athletes make together. They identify someone's potential through their physical ability. Mm -hmm. And that's quite easy to do because you can look at someone and think, whoa, they're going to be the fastest in the world. They're going to be the strongest. They're going to be the fittest. But you, you've got to look at the journey to see what their mental state is, their mental robustness, their, their ability to apply themselves, their ability to to do the boring mundane stuff, the repetition day in, day out of that training regime is, is very, very important. And physically, they might be able to do that in their sleep, but can they do it up here? So what you do is you start working with them to, to, to be able to do the best they can do, but that's key. The best they can do is, the, is where you need to set their targets. And it might be physically they could be Olympic champion 10 times over, but when you add in the, the, the psychological, it might be that okay, we're going to aim to make the British team and that's your, your target. And I think that's really, really important because if you don't, 
you're setting the expectations too high and everything's a failure right from start to finish. Yeah. And that's the worst thing that you can do is set up someone for constant failure. Because actually, if your target was make the British team and that ended up winning a medal at a national international championships, they've surpassed their mm-hmm. target, but are obviously well under their Olympic um you know potential as a fist from their physical attributes so it's just getting that balance and that communication but you're right the communication in that is absolutely key right from the start you can't wait to the end and just say oh yeah by the way i know we've been training to be an olympic athlete but you're probably going to be a british level athlete but you can't do that because that's that's just going to completely demotivate someone and with someone like max you know he's obviously a classic example of someone that that has gone on and, and, and achieved all these things and um, how quickly were you able to spot that talent in him and, and know that he had that kind of mental resilience and strength to do that? Well, it's interesting because when he first came and joined my group, I had a big group of athletes that, that were doing very well. And I, I probably had number one, and number two in Britain at that time. And they were probably, they were, they were juniors. So it was about 12 years old, 13 years old. And then I had number, probably number five. And then Max came along and he was about number six in the country. Mm-hmm. And in training, he was definitely right at the bottom of the top. So you're talking the top group. He was, he was right at the bottom. Uh, and even in, in the controlled events and in meetings, in because um, obviously we had to have lots of meetings with our head national coaches, he wasn't able to articulate himself very well. So he, he was always sort of number six or number, number five and was always a reserve. In 2010, he had the opportunity to go to the Commonwealth Games in Delhi and, and I was the coach and he was part of that team. And unfortunately, yeah, he had a bit of a, a, a problem with his back, which meant he couldn't train for the week before he went. And not only could he not train the week before he went, when we got there, he didn't manage to train when he was out there and didn't do the podium training. And as any athlete, it's very important to do your pre-training. Yeah. But he really wanted to perform. And a day before the competition, his back actually got better. He was getting these, these funny cramps. And he said, oh, I'd really like to perform. So we got the, the doctors to check him out and make sure it was safe. And we reduced his routines. And uh, in my head, I'm thinking, well, he's not going to be able to do anything because he's not done any training. But we are here. He is part of the team. Let's give him this opportunity. Um, in the warm-up, he didn't do anything. He looked like he was going to fall off of everything. And when he went out onto the stage, he just went, I guess he put his arm up to the judge and just literally went six for six. Absolutely incredible. I think he won three medals in his first ever senior international, which is a Commonwealth Games. And that was the moment I thought, hang on, there's more to the physical ability of an athlete, mm-hmm. the ability to stand up there and do that on top of not having any training at all for two weeks beforehand is incredible. So it was in 2010, I really started to think, wow, this kid could do something very, very special. And then over the years, it's around 2014, to, well, 2013 that I, I started to really think our target needs to be Olympic medals. It, it, it's got to Olympic and world medals. Um, so we started planning that and that's that's where the journey began, I believe. And what, why do you think, you know, you mentioned earlier about kind of having, you know, struggles in people's childhood as being one of the key things um that, that kind of creates that level of resilience. You know, what do you think it was for, for Max that sort of set him up for that? So he, he used to train at a different club in Hemel Hempstead near where he used to live. And his coach actually left. And I think that caused quite a lot of upset. And what he actually did was, and this was quite a big thing for him, he, he left his home 
and moved to Slovenia, where his coach went to. And he tried to, to pursue his gymnastics in a different country. He's very, very close to his family. But he went out there and stayed out there for what well, was near near on, I think, three, four months. Obviously, he was trying to live in, out there indefinitely until his, his career was, was over. Uh, and whilst he, he struggled massively with his gymnastics and, and everything else to miss home, and it, and it failed, if you like, it didn't work out there. I think that was something that really taught him about himself and really gave him that drive and that ability to overcome so many obstacles. So that was his adversity, I think. Um, and then, of course, moving to South Essex, he, he had an hour's journey every single day with his mum in the car to get there. So there was a lot of challenges for him to get to where he is. Mm-hmm. We also have to remember, and I, and I often forget it, when he started to really train properly and, and you know, he had a lot of niggles, a lot of injuries that he had to overcome. He had quite bad Osgood Slattis in his knee. He had bad growth plate issues in his wrists. He had problems with his back. Um, but he never stopped. He just overcome each one. Every single setback, it reset him and he, and he carried on. So I think all of those things were absolutely key in his development. Um, and then in terms of competition, there was, a, there was a key moment where he really did have a... Like in 2014, went to the World Championships and we were set up to really do well and we went to challenge for medals there. Uh, and we went out into the qualification and he actually, I think the pressure was too much and he made several mistakes and didn't qualify for anything. And I think that at the time was one of the hardest moments because he'd won everything up until that point. That was one of the hardest moments, but it was one of the most important moments because it gave us that ability or made us reflect and reset, assess the situation um, and then move forwards again. And he actually went out and, and came second in the world after that. So that was that was a key moment. What, what were some of the things that you that you practiced at that point that you that you changed to try and get you know move forward after that? So uh, communication and what language I used was a big one. So I used to talk a lot about what are we going to try and win, what are we going to try and achieve, who are we going to try and beat, and I realised that what we was doing between us was was creating a lot of pressure unnecessarily Mm -hmm. so the language changed to what are your targets how are we going to achieve the targets let's look after yourself yeah be the best version of the yourself you can be and the results look after themselves and once we've done that the results did start to look after themselves a lot the other one was obviously the the standard coaching um, reflections you know do we do a little bit more of this? Do we do a little bit less of that? Do we change our routines, et cetera, et cetera? So they, they were the key learning points at that moment. I get the impression that, you know, you're clearly very, very knowledgeable on, on all the gymnastics, but you're also um, very, very self-aware um, and really kind of understand yourself and, and have had to, you know, have this awareness for the different athletes as well. What are some of the things that you, you've really learned about yourself um, from doing all the coaching for, for all these athletes? For me, it was about um, emotional intelligence and understanding the empathy around communication. When I started coaching, um, you've got to remember a lot of our influences were the Eastern European bloc, like Russia and um, you know uh, Bulgaria and Ukraine and places like that. And and then of course the the, the very best were, were communist countries like China. And and you looked at how they were developing their gymnasts. And and I believed I had to go into the gym and I had to know everything. I had to know all the answers to every problem. I had to know exactly what I was talking about all the time. And you got to remember, I was like 18, 19 years old when I started coaching. 
Uh, and at the time, I actually did believe that I knew everything. I believed that I could take anyone at any time and turn them into the best athlete. Now, whilst that is incredibly powerful because you have a lot of confidence, you have a lot of drive and you have a lot of passion, you also come with a big ego and an inability to learn. And learning is one of the key parts. So one of the first things that I really, really forced myself to do, which I found incredibly useful, was reflect. So at any moment after every session, just take a moment to reflect, think about what was good, what was bad, et cetera, et cetera. And then as I started doing that, it was actually the, the buy-in from the athletes that I found the most powerful, actually talking to them about their program and actually trying to empower them, give them the tools to do the job rather than me telling them how to do the job. And when I started doing that, I could see the level just go like increase rapidly, really, really fast. So that gave me confidence that what I was doing was right. And then in the end, it was very much by the time they're adults, it's their program. They're the experts and I'm there just to help. You know, I, I laugh, but, you know, I call myself the, the world champion bag carrier because I think it's a really important job. Um, but, you know, it takes a lot of years of work to carry that bag for an Olympic champion, you know. So that's what I see as essential to be able to reflect, to be able to have that emotional intelligence around what's happening. Read the athlete, because again, you can set whatever plan you want. When the athlete walks through the door and they've had a row with their girlfriend or they've had a bad night's sleep, they're not going to do that program. So the ability to, you know, adapt and adopt very, very quickly is is really, really important too. And you said you're there that you were coaching at sort of the age of 18. To me, that sounds like a very young age to be getting into to coaching and that sort of thing. Um, why was it that you decided to go down that route? I was very passionate about gymnastics, you know, very passionate. And I really wanted to be an amazing gymnast myself. I was I was obsessed with the sport. Um, but I, I quickly realised that, that I couldn't do that. And I actually found so much joy out of coaching. So I started to really focus on that a lot more. So basically I was a failed athlete <laughs> and, I, and I wanted to, to achieve in a sport that I loved um, and, and, you know, was a big part of my life. People nowadays, you know, talk a lot about, you know, finding your passion and things like that. And it's, you know, it's quite a kind of commonly used phrase. What, what was your sort of experience? You know, you said that there that you've, you really found that passion of yours. Um, but I think a lot of people are sort of age, you know, you know, struggle to find those sort of passions. You know, what sort of advice would you be giving to them to go out there and find these things that you can, as you say, are really passionate about and then go, you can go on and do incredible things with. My advice is to find your passion. Don't, don't fixate on one thing too early. Mm. Take your time, enjoy everything. Don't be too um, blase, you know, really give it your all when you, when you want to try something, but really, really try lots of different things until you find something you love because if you love what you do you'll never work a day in your life you really really won't and any obstacle that comes your way it'll almost be an enjoyment to to, to overcome that obstacle rather than a headache because it's coming your way however on the flip side if you do find something that you are passionate about you've got to go for it helpful ever if you want to be the best if you want to succeed you can't do it half-heartedly you, you know if i think about my life all my holidays my wedding, when I had children, when I bought my house, when I moved house, it was all geared around my gymnastics calendar. Um, and a lot of people would, you know, almost roll their eyes and think, well, that's, that's ridiculous because you might never have achieved. But do you know what? If I didn't achieve, it's not the results that have defined me. It's the journey that I've had. It's the relationships that I've made and the friendships that I've made and the lessons that I've learned 
on this journey that have that have really really defined me and that will never change and that would never have changed unless I didn't give my all because it was a passion so if you find your passion go for it a hundred percent um but the one bit of advice I'd definitely um give if you do that is make sure that you uh fraction in your your actual holidays because um I think several times in my career I was in danger of burnout whereas uh now I'm quite good at building in my holiday around my program. Yeah, I was going to say because you know, I, I you know, quite a lot of young people now are sort of you know finding something that they get into and and they just go all in and they they sacrifice everything. You know, they they push their friends to one side, they push you know time off and everything. Um, how you know? Because clearly, people like that have just found something that they you know really drives them and motivates them. Um, how can someone like that? you know, make sure that they still do take time off. Because, you know, I think about when I was first starting this business, you know, I was all in, you know, all the time. And, and I think it was, uh, I, you know, I was still doing lots of other stuff whilst at university, but I was, you know, I was nonstop. And I was probably going down a route where I was definitely going to burn out, you know, if I, if probably if COVID hadn't come along, to be honest. Um, and I, it, was a, it was a great time where I kind of was able to reflect on things and really realise that I didn't need to be doing absolutely everything 100% of my life, I could, you know, have some time off and do these other things. But, you know, what, what sort of things would you be saying to people to make sure that you do take that step back and have time off? Well, you know, one of the first things I'd be saying to anybody that's starting anything is find someone that's done it and, and talk to them, find a mentor, find someone that's been highly successful and see what advice they've got to give to you. And anybody that's been through what you've described there and what I did, um, the first thing they'll say is make sure that you set time for yourself and set time for your friends and your family, because if you don't, the, the, the intensity will become too much. And then, of course, when it is a, sorry, when it is a passion, you become emotionally attached. And of course, that means when things go wrong, it hurts you more than it was a normal job. Mm -hmm. If you're working in Tesco's or Sainsbury's or, you know, any any sort of place like that. Yes, it would annoy you if something went wrong, but at the end of the day, you put your keys away, you go home, and then you get up the next day and you come back. Whereas when it's something that you're doing, you you won't switch off. So it's really, really important to have those times. I'm not saying don't commit 100%. When you're in, you're in. But that includes, you know, a healthy balance of every aspect of your life. Now, almost all the athletes I've spoken to um, since c coming out of lockdown have said that one of the biggest things that they learned, you know, through lockdown was, you know, reflection and really, you know, just being grateful. And I, I bet if I spoke with, you know, most of the gymnasts, they'd probably say a similar thing. As a coach, have you noticed any changes, you know, to the way that the athletes are and perform since lockdown? Yeah, absolutely. I think the biggest thing I learned through lockdown was how to use these these Zoom computers because I'm useless at it. So that's, that's a big thing for me. Um, notice how easy I've got on it today. <laughs> yeah. I'm sending emails saying, what the hell have I got to do? So that, for me, that was one of the biggest things. And also, you can do stuff at home. You can keep fit. Mm -hmm. And that's really, really important because it means that you can spend a bit of time with your family. But I, I, I absolutely agree. I think um, the thing that I have noticed mainly about the athletes and their performances is the, the how important it is to include a rest and recovery as part of your program. Mm -hmm. it's, it doesn't have to be constantly in the gym. Quite often you build, you think you build confidence through repetition, repetition, which you do, 
but you also build confidence in reflection and rest and actually taking your mind off it completely. So a lot of the athletes have, have realised that they can have a holiday and they can take that time. Yeah. In terms of performance, you know, I think it's made people realise that, yes, it's very important, the sport they do, and it's their livelihoods, but it's not the end of the world. It is a sport. It is a hobby. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that has actually made them able to perform a little bit better. In It's not the be all and end all. It's just a part of their life. And I think that's been a very positive thing. Now, let's just talk a little bit about kind of teams and things like that, because, you know, again, with a lot of these different sports, you know, it seems, a lot, you know, culture is so important. And, and you know, as you talked about earlier, that relationship. Um, what are some of the kind of practices that you would recommend for, you know, building those things? Because it's, you know, once you've got them going, you know, it's about implementing them, them and continuing it. But what sort of things would you recommend? I, I know, for example, within our startup team here within our business, you know, what sort of things would you recommend for really building that strong team environment? Yeah, well, one of the things that you've touched on there is culture. And culture is an easy word to say without actually understanding how much goes into it. So I think the environment that you set up is very, very, really essential. You know, if you've got an inclusive, fun environment that people want to thrive and they want to do their best, you're going to get the best out of people instantly. So praise, again, is is massively important. So when you set your targets, if people do achieve them, you've got to champion that. And I don't mean, oh, well done. It should just be part of your culture to to champion success. Now, when there isn't some, something doesn't go right or someone doesn't achieve what you've set out, um, I would definitely recommend avoiding the word punishment or um, review. I would look at, you know, learning opportunity have you know what can we learn from this how can we change it what can we do to make your job better and look at those things and all those little things come from communication so communication is absolutely essential in anything lots of talking even if it's over the top but you've got to make something fun you've got to make something enjoyable if the the common mistake i see is people don't associate hard work with fun they think you've either got hard work or you've got fun well, actually, if you can make hard work fun, people are going to work hard all day long and it's not going to be a problem for them. Uh, and that comes from the environments you set and, and you know, have a bit of music on in the background, making making things easy. And then, like I said, learning from any mistakes, any hurdles, any, any offsets. But reviewing all the time, making sure there's little meetings at the end of each session or at the end of each day, the end of each working day to um, talk about stuff and being able to listen to what people have to say is absolutely essential in anything like that. And then it's just trying to make that everybody... What Culture for me is based on feel, all right? And if you feel valued, if you feel good, you're going to, you know, work and you're going to operate at the best. People will not remember what you've told them in 10 years. People will never remember what you've told them in 10 years. But I promise you... People remember how you've made them feel in 20 or 30 years' time. Even if it's in one interaction, if you've made them feel good, they'll remember that. If you've made them feel terrible, they'll remember that. If you've made them feel valued and inspired, they'll remember that. But they won't remember what you've told them. So that's really, really important. And with the relationship that you have with athletes, um, I can imagine that sometimes it's a bit of a balancing act, right? You've You've got to be their coach, but you're also their friend in many ways. Um, how do you make sure that they don't cross your line? Because you must have a line, right? No, absolutely. And I think um, it depends what stage of the 
uh, your career you're at because with gymnastics in particular, and this is obviously what I'm mainly um, experienced in, you start working with, with young children. Now, when you're working with young children, the, the line of discipline and the line has to be very, very clear. What are the rules? What are the expectations? What's safe? You know, what keeps them safe in the gym? And what are we trying to achieve? And, and at the end of the day, the gymnastics is so low, the level is so low that you can really focus on, you know, how do we walk around the gym? How do we stay safe? How do we sit in line? How do we ask questions? Because remember, some of these kids are like four and five years old. And then you, you go through that transitional play, uh, stage of young child to teenager. And that's that's where your work really begins as a coach. Um, and that's where you've got to really, really understand um, and have that empathy around um, the athlete that I call space cadet. This is when they leave the planet, go to some planet out in space for a couple of years or a couple of months, and you don't know who they are or what they're doing. They don't know who they are, or what they're doing. The only thing you can be there is their safety net, be there for them, make sure they feel, you know, comfortable. You can't you can't conflict with them at that stage because they're learning about themselves. And that's where a lot of people go wrong. And that's not just coaches, that's parents as well. Quite often that's when a parent-child relationship will break down when a child is going through that stage. Now, if you get that right and they feel supported through that, when they come back down to earth as hopefully a well-rounded young adult at that stage, that's when you can really start to move that relationship to a much more equal relationship. And that's where maybe the friendship, as you as you referred to, can start to evolve alongside the actual coaching um, part. But if you do that too early, you're right, it, it, it doesn't often work because you need to have that, you know, you're the coach, they're the athlete type relationship. Uh, it's, I, I guess it's the same in work. If you, if you let someone, if you let an employee become too close to you, you could then find it hard to set their um, targets in the workplace or they could they may find it easy to maybe take the mick a little bit with what um they're doing and what they're delivering at work so you've got to keep that boundary but you if you want to move into that next line it takes years of of mutual respect and understanding to be able to do that so they're the three stages you're clearly incredibly incredibly experienced within the coaching you know in particular of gymnastics obviously what things do you still struggle with Right. So I guess one of the things that I struggle with is is taking the time to actually when, when somebody. Ne what I've really found easy at the start was having that passion and drive to push through anything. Now I'm so far the other side that I give so much ownership when an athlete isn't pushing themselves. I find it very hard to push them because I start I, I do feel a lot that that should come from them. But at times, as a coach, you do need to push them and you do need to drive them as well. And, you know, they want that because that's why they're in the gym. That's why they're doing the sport. And I sometimes find it hard to push them now um, because I think, well, I, I guess it's because I don't want to have to do that. But at times, I need to remind myself that, that still needs to be done in the gym to get the best out of these athletes. So why, why do you not like having to do that? It's not conflict because if someone does something wrong, I think that's absolutely, you know, right to challenge that and to, to, to 
you know, confront that and find out why they've done those things. But I think when someone wants to do a sport, the general level of expectation is that they need to be self-driven. Yeah. And I think if you've worked so hard to give them those tools to do that and they've been very successful on the journey, if they get to a point where they start to, to backtrack on that self-drive, mm-hmm. I, I think sometimes that it's easier for me to stand back and say, well, they're adults now. Mm-hmm. They've, got to, they've got to find their own way rather than actually confront them and say, look, guys, if you want to achieve this, we need to go. And then when I do do that, it's interesting when I do actually step forward and push them. It's interesting that, you know, even if there is a bit of pushback, they'll always, re- you know, um, they'll always appreciate that. They'll always come back afterwards and say, you know, thanks. Uh, that's what I needed. And I'm now back in the zone and everything. Mm. But I do find that quite difficult from time to time. So what do you think it is like that mental block that sort of like, you know, gets in the way sometimes when you're trying to do that? Because like, I get the impression that you know it's the right thing to do, right? But just sometimes you're—it's almost like instinctive to that—that—that that, that you you just want them to to know that they should be doing it themselves. Yeah, I think it's success. I think when you reach your own personal targets, I think sometimes it's hard to push yourself to to go through that uncomfortable stage of having those conversations. If I'm brutally honest with myself, and I think sometimes you do need to, like I said, reflect. I'm very aware. I'm a very aware person. I'm aware that sometimes I avoid those those um, conversations, you know, but I, I avoid them because, like I said, I believe that the athletes should be able to do that themselves. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I am very aware, but I am also very good at reflecting. So, you know, if I, if I do, if it does get to a stage where they have not pushed themselves for a period of time, then yeah. I will I will address it. And one thing that I can imagine is, is again, another balancing act is making sure that you don't over push these athletes because, you know, if they go too far, then, you know, either they might, uh, you, you might put them off, but you also might, you know, physically exhaust them. Um, how do you get that right balance? It comes from the journey. It comes from, from years and years and years of experience. You know, I think most coaches, if a coach can honestly sit there in front of anyone and say, I've never pushed someone too far, then they're probably either lying or haven't got to that stage of being highly successful. It's something that you you um, are going to start doing, especially at the start of your career, when you really, really want to get. And that's why it's important to have mentors. That's why it's important to have people that you can that, that you can trust to sort of say, right, it's probably enough now or think of the bigger picture, or maybe a bit of rest and recovery might be more beneficial at this stage rather than pushing through too far. Um, and that, that comes from, from years and years of experience at working at all different levels with all different people. And now it's, it's I, I very, very rarely push someone even close to being too far. Um, but I think that, again, is because I really do understand where those levels are. And nine times out of 10, when you get to the very top level, you'll find that you're probably saying to the athlete, you need to stop pushing mm-hmm. more because the athletes you're working with when you're at the top level are at that cutting edge anyway. And they're at that cutting edge because of their own ability to push themselves outside their comfort zones. So as a coach, you're probably more likely to be saying, maybe that's enough now. Yeah. Obviously, when you're working with lower level athletes, you'll probably find that you're saying a lot more, come on, you need to push harder, you need to do more. 
So you know, I think it's understanding where you are on your journey. And with some of these top, top level athletes, do you ever kind of like read and, and you know, exercise marginal gains? 100% all the time. Um, I'm always looking at uh, certain things, but a lot of things that I look at now aren't scientific coaching aids. In gymnastics, it's quite um, unique that <laughs> it's, it's very, very complex. So a lot of the marginal gains come from up here. Um, you know, the training training um, aids and the, the, you know, the expert um, additions to your training come from those experts, if you like. So if we want someone to be stronger, we'll go and find a strength and conditioning coach. We'll try and explain gymnastics to them in, in layman's terms so they can actually focus on those muscle groups and they will deliver such a good program and you can integrate that into your training. So those, those types of marginal gains, you know, I, I rely on those experts, but I, I manage them if you like. Yeah. In terms of the real, real marginal gains um, for, for me, it's all about the psychology. And I do a lot of talking, a lot of reading, um, a lot of video watching. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm quite passionate about it. Now, Scott, you obviously achieved a huge amount already with your career. Um, you've got an MBE as well. Um, what's next for you? So for me, it's about giving back. Um, I'm in a, in a big transitional stage in my career now. I want to be able to uh, get the, the, the athletes that I work with and the club that I run. I want more results, but I want to do it not with one coach and one set of guys or girls. I want it to be a whole team of people. So I'm I'm mentoring several coaches and I'll do that, um, you know, around the whole world. And as well, I go to different countries at the moment. I work in Portugal, I work in Finland and places like that. But in the club, I'm really closely mentoring several younger coaches and helping them bring the next level of athletes up. And I want to try and tap into the experience that I've got and the, and the lessons I've learned. One of the key things I always say to everybody is don't make the same mistakes that I've made because I've made them and I've learned from them. Let's learn new mistakes. Let's yeah. go out there and find new problems to solve. Um, and we can do that with the big safety net that's underneath us now. Uh, and that's called experience. So um, that's what I'm passionate about. That's what I'm looking forward to. And the other thing is um, having weekends off at home and having more holidays with my family. <laughs> No, that's absolutely fantastic. Um, no, Scott, I really appreciate your, your honesty and everything throughout this podcast. Um, you know, you're clearly incredibly self-aware um, and it's, you know, no surprise that you've been able to get yourself into the, the position that you have. As we do at the end of each of these episodes, um, we're going to do a two truths and one lie. So if you'd like to say three statements. So my first statement is I can fly a helicopter. Okay. Second one is. I absolutely love flying. Okay. Right? And my third one is I absolutely love water skiing. So there we go. Two truths and one lie from Scott. So, so many incredible lessons in there. Let us know on Instagram at armigo underscore UK if you enjoyed the episode and who you'd like to see on season five of the Armigo podcast. The podcast only continues to get better and bigger. Thank you so much to all of you who have listened and supported us on this journey. I hope you'll continue to learn from our guests as we move into season five of the Armago podcast. But that's it for season four. We'll see you again soon for a brand new epic season of the Armago podcast. <laughs>